Farms and farmers, they come in all shapes and sizes, all with different approaches and thinking around production and business. Well, today on The Yarn, we're going to introduce you to two very different wool growers, an entrepreneurial businessman from the southwest of Western Australia who's taking a fully vertically integrated approach to his business with a, a focus on retaining key staff. And we also hear from a wool grower running an enormous operation in Patagonia in the cold, dry and brutal climate at the very south of Argentina. Two really different farmers, but both very successful operators. Hello, welcome to The Yarn. This is a podcast to and for the Australian wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming and earlier this year I was lucky enough to attend and speak at the World Merino Congress in Uruguay and afterwards travelled through southern Argentina meeting the passionate wool growers of that country, a trip organised and run by the World Merino and the Australian Stud Merino Breeders. We visited Teca Station, 350,000 acres or 140,000 hectares in a climate of around 300 millimetres of uh, rainfall a year and plenty of snow as well, running large framed sort of 19-20 micron merino ewes and that country I suppose looked not unlike western New South Wales or even some parts of uh, pastoral South Australia, just at the Andes as a backdrop. Well, the general manager there since 2001 is Carlos Moleco and he runs this very big operation. Yes, it's one of the biggest properties in Patagonia. We run 80,000 sheep altogether, plus uh, 7,000 cattle. You run uh, Australian genetics here. Have you have you always run Australian genetics here? Yes, yes. Australian genetics, genetics has been introduced here many years ago, and we keep introducing every couple of years. We're looking for a big sheep where we need here for the conditions. Uh, the cold, the hilly country, they have to work a lot. We need big sheep, we want uh, wool, you know, you always look for quantity of wool, rich, good wool, and that's why we every now and then introduce new blood from Australia. Now, like a lot of um, uh, people here in uh, Argentina, you've spent a bit of time in Australia, which, so you've got a, a good perspective of both the Australian industry and the Argentinian wool industry. Um, how, the two obviously seem to be uh, a little bit similar in, in, in some instances with uh, some pastoral production. Where did you where did you spend time in Australia? Well, I've been in Australia uh, Jackaroon when I was young. Uh, I found we we think quite similar. The sheep is got a sort of future. Um, we think the conditions, uh, in certain ways, are similar conditions to breed sheep. Maybe we are a bit far away from the markets. You are closer to the markets. Well, to that to that point about the markets, I think we're just looking at your magnificent uh, shearing shed, which is only one of three. But I think you you you. Your wool clip is about 1,200 bales, the 1,200, 350, 300 kilogram bales. So yes. it's a, a lot. And uh, how do you market your clip? I mean, this is one very large clip. Do you speak directly to clients, or is there? Do you put it through an auction system? How do no, people we, sell wool here? No, we don't. We don't do by auction. We just speak direct with uh, wool brokers. Uh, 
and uh, we get to the best option, uh, best offer, and that, that's the way we don't have options here. Yeah, but, but selling um, such a large clip, it must give you very good bargaining power when you speak directly with the mills. Yes, of course it gives you some extra benefit to have a big clip like this. But uh, what we do, uh, most of the time, is divided the clip in two or three. Okay. The main reason probably is to take less risk. Yes, of course. Now, the Australian industry, uh, there's lots of optimism, people very happy in the, uh, the wool industry here. Um, is it the same in Argentina? Are, are wool growers uh, happy with the price or does it, um, does it need to go a little higher before people are making good money? No, no, we are happy with the price. We think uh, we are going through, a, through a, maybe one of the best times in whole life. We price, uh, so we, you know, we happy, we happy. We. So, what would you like to do with your genetics? You, you've um, got a big South Australian uh, type at the moment, but with a very high quality wool. Um, I think it must be around 19, is it 19? Uh, 20. Around 20, 20 sorry. 20. And uh, so, where where would you like to take your bloodlines uh, from here? Well, we look for a big sheep uh, with good conformation, and obviously we. A lot of wool, rich wool. Uh, we need a big sheep because we run the sheep through really rough conditions, hilly countries, stones. Uh, they have to work a lot to get water and to get grass. Uh, so we're looking for a bigger sheep. So uh, what um, are the biggest production constraints? We've heard that predation from uh, puma and fox and some eagles with the lambs are, are an issue. Is that the same here? Um, or is it mostly climatic, the cold, that um, keeps production uh, limited? It's a bit of everything. can be one important reason, but uh, then uh, foxes is, is another very important reason. Uh, it's an important problem that we've got. Pumas maybe too. The drought is drought is, is really really problem. Cold and drought. In the in the future, uh, when when you look back on your time here as uh, as the general manager, what what would you like to think that you have changed here? What is the stamp that you have uh, made? I would like to see uh, that I've done a good job with uh, average bull production per sheep. Yeah. More same quantity of heads, but uh, a good percentage more wool. So lifting, lifting from production. 5 to 7 kilos yes, or something like that? as much as I can. Yeah. Uh, the same with, with cattle to put the numbers, production numbers up. Increase production. Well, mm -hmm. um, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your amazing hospitality today uh, in an incredible environment, a very fragile but brutal environment. We look forward to seeing you in Australia again soon. It was a pleasure to receive you and I hope to see you, to see you again sometime. Carlos Moleco, General Manager of Estancia Teca, Teca Station in Patagonia, Argentina. Look, this is a wonderful story of really backing yourself, following opportunities, and as part of that, retaining 
key valuable staff on farm. Craig Hegerton told Emily King how it all started for him. We grew up with a rural background. My parents both came off farming properties in New South Wales. Um, my father worked as a livestock agent. Um, he was working in Tasmania. Um, we were brought up pretty much in a, with a rural background, spent a lot of time as, uh, on farms as kids and uh, my aim in early life, I wanted to go farming. Pretty difficult to find a way to get onto a farm when you're a young kid with not a lot of money. So I thought vet science would probably be a, a good way to get into it. So. I, when I left school, I applied to all four universities in that were there were only four universities at that stage that provided vet science, and obviously no one in Western Australia had heard of me then, so they accepted me. <laughs> uh, so I travelled over here in '79 and and graduated with a degree in vet science at the end of '83. And you've never left? Uh, no, no. I found a young girl over here as well that probably had a bit of influence on me staying in Western Australia. Uh, I heard today you had a brief consulting vet stint in the live X industry. We're very lucky. Uh, the the live uh, the um, artificial breeding game or laparoscopic insemination of, of sheep was just being developed in in my latter years at university, and I had some involvement with it then. But it was only in very early stages, and there were, you know the the technology was just being developed, and we were involved in some of the early trials, but it was very seasonal work at that stage so I also worked for a company that were consulting to the live sheep export industry and which was obviously a lot bigger industry than what it was uh, that what it is today. Speaking of artificial insemination embryo transfer you own Genstock uh, which specializes in those technologies how did you decide that you wanted to get into that was that a case of a bit of exposure at university and seemed like a pretty cool gig or how did you decide you wanted to get into that sort of a business well it was it was a timing situation i suppose when i as i was traveling through vet science i sort of realized that there's actually not a lot of money in vet science and i <laughs> thought maybe i've barked up the wrong tree there but it wasn't until the latter years when uh, this artificial breeding of sheep was just being developed so we were able to get in on the ground floor and, and develop the business from the early stages so it sort of it, it really we we're just lucky that we we're at the right place at the right time because it's not only that uh, that it was a great business but it also involved ourselves in you know purely in dealing with farmers and working on farms so it was a great learning curve for me, and I, I still always have the goal of every time I try and go on a farm, I come, I try and come away with with a message to something that I can learn that can adapt to into our farming operations. It's uh, it's been a great journey. So speaking of your farming operations, not only are you a vet, but you're also a stud breeder, running multiple studs, a bit of a commercial merino flock as well, and you obviously work with a lot of other farmers and stud owners with your AI services and Genstock doesn't only do AI, you do a lot of other measurement and testing services as well. I guess how did you decide that you wanted to invest in farming as well as your Genstock business? I suppose it goes back to the ultimate aim that I, I always wanted to go farming and, and vet science was, was really a, a, um, a means to an end so we're very lucky that the artificial breeding game blossomed in the late 80s when wool was booming through 88, 89, 90. We were extremely busy through through those years. And the years after that, when wool was in the decline up the, post the stockpile, there were a lot of the new breeds that came into South Africa uh, into Australia. So there were, 
we've had a busy time over the you know those early years, and uh, it was very very good. To us, but uh, but our ultimate aim was always to go farming. So we we were able to um, buy some a uh, small amount of land off my father-in-law, which we cleared. We were actually cleared some bush in those early days when it was still allowed, um, and basically developed from there. And so you do run a number of different studs here yourself. Can you just explain to me quickly what those are and why you have chosen those breeds or bred them yourself? Sure. Um, I've always had a keen interest in sheep, and when I say wanted to go farming, I just always loved working with sheep. So uh, with, with the artificial breeding skills behind us, and uh, that skill set enabled us to sit down and analyse some of the breeds that were available, and we thought there was room for some some alternatives uh, so we sat down and designed a couple of breeds and worked out well what do we need to, to achieve this so um, so with consultation with a lot of people we worked out what we thought the industry required in certain areas and through through the technologies that we've got through the artificial breeding business we were able to um, to develop those breeds. It's now I'm standing at your lamb feed lot with you speaking right now and I've just had the opportunity to have a look through the feed mill as well. I guess it's a it's a big business you said you've got 12 full-time staff yeah. over varying enterprises that you're running. How do you how do you um, create a strong culture within your people and how do you retain good staff choose good staff and then retain yeah, it's the key to our business is having really good staff. Um, we have got some excellent people working for us that are highly motivated. We have a very much a team and team uh, workplace that we all work together. Um, I don't believe my philosophy is I'd never ask someone to do a job that I'm not prepared to pitch in them and give them a hand to do themselves. So um, we value our staff very well. We look after them very well. Uh, and I think it's it's part of the success of our business is, is the quality of people that we do employ. And you mentioned today as well that you sometimes incentivise your staff through different means. Are you able to give a high level example of one of those incentives you're <laughs> able to offer staff? Uh, certainly share in the businesses. The the guy that runs our pellet mill for us has a has a has a ten percent share in the business, um, which is that's a classic example. I mean, it's a bit harder on a farming operation because it's land being putting someone else in your land. But in a business, yes, and we've got we've just put on a partner in in Genstock, a, uh, a vet that's worked in the industry before, has come on as a partner within the business. So uh, I think it's a, if you can look after the good people and incentivise them in some way, um, it just uh, it's it's works as the, a great succession plan to keep the business going. And apart from all of the stuff that you've got going on yourself with your wife, Liz, yep. you've also got a few off-farm roles as well that keep you busy because I don't think you've got a lot of spare time by the sound <laughs> of things. So um, Chair of WAMCO, Western Australian Meat Marketing Co-op, uh, and also uh, an industry, a sheep industry um, organisation. Does having those external roles to your business, does that help you be more effective and efficient in your own businesses? 
Um, I don't know about effective and efficient, but it, but it's a great out for me. I, you know, I just love the sheep industry so much, and it's it's been very very good to us. And I I feel a bit obliged to return some of that um, effort that we've gained out of the sheep industry. We're very focused on the meat side of it. So my role at Wamco, being through a meat processor, I find very stimulating to see you know the processing side of it as, as well as you know producing the product. So we're following the product all the all the way through. Um, so I find those other roles, although they are quite time-consuming, that uh, I not only enjoy them, but it's, it's giving a bit back to the industry that's been so good to us. You mentioned today that your ultimate goal would be to have a branded lamb product in the market. What are the type of things you need to think about? What boxes do you need to check on farm before you think you can launch into that market? Yeah, there are a number of factors here. We've, we've got to make sure we've got all the systems and the processes in place that we can supply a market consistently throughout the year. Um, there's been a lot of people that try to brand their own lamb, not that many of them successfully. It's probably a lot more success in the in the beef industry where branded products are a lot more common. Uh, we're trying to just get our whole production system from a, from a genetic point of view, from a feeding point of view, from a um, fertility and production point of view in the paddock and then to a finishing system in the feedlot on a concentrated ration. So our aim is to tick all those boxes and then if we can get everything right and we feel like it's economically viable to, to brand our own product, we'd, we'd like to take that step one day in the future. Whether we get there or not, I don't know, but it's a, it is our, our, our ultimate goal. But I'm not getting any younger and my son's a bit more interested in the cropping side of the operation. So we'll see how we get there, but it's just been a great journey on the way anyway. Thanks very much for talking to us today. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure too. Thanks very much. That's Cogent Up Farmer Dr Craig Hegerton. What a great story and a really big thank you to Emily King for pinning Craig down for a few minutes and getting him to speak. He is a very busy man and has a lot to offer. All right, so I hope you enjoyed uh, this version of The Yarn. Uh, as a podcast, we, we really need your feedback and uh, we really enjoy creating these podcasts. But uh, if you have a burning topic you want discussed, a question, anything at all, you can email us at theyarn at wool.com and uh, we'll follow it up for you. But also subscribe and even write a review on iTunes because it helps others to find us. Whatever the case, uh, look, we thank you for having a yarn with us and listening. And from me, Murray is coming. We look forward to catching you next time.